Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the first edition of Quintessentially Queer. I am your host, George Rallis, and we'll be spending a very intimate first hour together just getting to know one another and just kicking. So, this is our first show, which shall be called Foreplay, leading up to a beautiful series of podcasts curated by yours truly. So, I would like to open the first show by a quote from Audrey Lord, just to give a small little introduction about what it is we do, who I am, and why we've gathered here today uh, to connect. So the quote is, Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. So in the same respect, we started this podcast, and you, which you have joined, to care about people that usually don't get featured in the voices that patriarchal and capitalist society showcase. Quintessentially Queer will be a series of podcasts where I will invite guests uh, from the next one and onwards, actually, who will talk about their own experience as queer individuals and non-normative people in their own specific field of culture, starting from club kids, drag queens, directors, dancers, you name it, girl. We will be here. So, since we've come out already with Diana Ross as the opening of this podcast, I shall give you a small little introduction of who I am and what I do. So, I'm studying right now. I'm doing a research master's in cultural analysis here at the UVA. And uh, I curate a couple of parties and perform in Amsterdam. Basically, one of the parties that I organize is called Dumped Queer Night in Cinema of the Damned. And the other one is called His Dark Elements, which happens at Radion. The reason I wanted to start this podcast and um, use this platform that was so gracefully given to me, Uva Radio, in the heart of Amsterdam, um, was to basically showcase people, my friends, people that I've encountered in Amsterdam or have dealt with in Cyprus and Amsterdam, actually, um, and just essentially have a small little conversation with people that I feel have something to add and have an importance in their voice, um, instead of just me sitting here for an hour telling you how smart I am or like how much stuff I know or have like researched on. The first one will be like that, actually, though, because it is some foreplay. And then from that point onwards, it will be functioning as guest-based podcasts and of exchanging ideas, conversations, and experiences. But the only thing you can expect out of Quintessentially Queer is that we will always be keeping it real, honey. So in that respect, let's go to Got To Be Real by Cheryl Lynn.
So, after that nice little musical break, which we shall have a couple of more, let's get into it, honey. So, let's talk about coming out, right? Let's talk about the LGBT movement. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Pride and uh, the more visible aspect of the LGBTQA culture started with the Stonewall Riots. Were also, it was also an uprising, basically, a political uprising that began in the early hours of June 28 in 1969. During that time, New York police raided the Stonewall Inn, which was a gay club that was located in the Greenwich Village in New York City. The raid sparked a riot amongst bar patrons and neighborhood residents as police roughly hauled employees and patrons out of the bar, thus leading to six days of protests and violent clashes with law enforcement outside the bar on Christopher Street, in the neighboring streets and in the area in general all around. The Stonewall riots um, was, was served as a catalyst for the gay rights movement in the United States and around the world. And it, it actually started by a trans black woman that threw a brick at a police officer. The police was basically just bullying them for a very long period simply because they were gay. And they were turning this like haven of an area into um, a target for them to show their violence and their homophobia, essentially. So before we start pointing fingers about who and who does not belong in the queer community and the LGBTQA plus community, we should remember our fucking history because that's where we came from. So after the Stonewall riots, right, what we take out of it is not necessarily how it started or who it started, regardless of whether we should remember that. But what we should take out of it is that pride and the act of visibility in coming out is essentially political. It should essentially include a political substantiality behind that identity. It is not simply a choice. It is not a choice. You don't choose to be gay. You're just born this way, honey. And beyond that, we should understand that all political like um, subsidies of this like identity are as vital as our own if you are part of the community itself. If you're not, an even more important matter why you should actually understand this culture and where it came from, you know? But beyond gay, lesbian, trans, etc., the identity that kind of, like, holds over people at this point uh, that has become quite trendy, if you ask me, is that of queer, right? What is it exactly to be queer? It's this word that steps over like a giant in our lives at this point, there's queer parties, there's a queer style, there's a queer identity, there's a queer sexuality, there's everything that is queer, right? But what is it exactly to be queer? But before we go on, in ex actually explaining a little bit where we stand as a podcast uh, with our guests and me personally as a person, let's go to Madonna and express yourself because that's exactly what we'll be doing. <laughs>
So, we expressed ourselves, so now let's actually get into a little bit more serious matters. I will explain to you, first of all, how I situate myself, and thus the podcast, and the way I will be treating the matters that we will be talking about, um, in order to actually substantiate um, both the politics behind what it is we're doing here, and we will be doing here, and also where I personally stand as a person. So first of all, let's get into queerness, and then we shall get in the way we treat art and why I think it is so important to include queer artists in, um, in this uh, form of expression. So queer is an umbrella term for sexual and gender minorities who are not heterosexual or cisgendered, usually. It originally means strange or peculiar, and then queer came to be used pejoratively, basically, against those with same-sex desires or relationships, starting from the 19th century and onwards. In the beginning of the 80s, though, queer activists, uh, such as the members of Queer Nation in the States, began to reclaim the word as a deliberately provocative and politically radical alternative to the more assimilationist branches of the LGBT community, right? Because regardless of whether you're gay or lesbian or part of the LGBT community, you can be homonormative, right? There is such a thing as femphobia and internalized homophobia within the community itself. And that, to me, is a lot more shocking and, like, just highly, highly inappropriate than it is to be um, put aside by a heterosexual person. Not that that is excused, of course not, but it's just kind of like, honey, we come from the same boat, you know what I'm saying? So kind of like, don't hate on your own. Anyway, but queerness, um, in general, to me, is not necessarily about a sexual identity. Yes, it is an inherent part of that. However, the way I treat queerness is anyone that understands the political substantiality of their own identity, sexual or not, and then the power plays that its expression perpetuates. Because being gay, or being mask-appearing, um, or being femme-looking or whatever, comes with a social meaning around it. As a tall, I'd say, like hairy, masculine-passing guy, I wear makeup, and I wear short skirts, and I've had long nails, and I have like very femme-appearing like social cues. However that sparks a different meaning around it. It's not just makeup. It's a political fucking struggle to be this femme. You know what I mean? In today's society, it takes a real man to stand on his own two feet, but bitch, it takes a real fucking queen to do that in stilettos. You get what I'm saying? Anyway, but beyond that, though, queerness should be this hub for people to be able to express their own selves, regardless of whether they're sleeping with the same gender or not. You know? And that's what Queer Nation was trying to do. Yeah, at the time, uh, it was more important, obviously, to limit it a little bit because it was the first steps. But it was an LGBTQ activist organization, basically, that was founded in the 90s. So imagine how important it was at the time to have just, like, gay people and queer people actually having a voice. Um, it was founded by HIV and AIDS activist from ACT UP that was another activist organization. The group is known for its confrontational tactics, its slogans, and the practices um, of voting that they were using in general. Parallel to that, a huge movement at the time was also the Club Kids movement, in which we will actually get into in our next show with our beautiful guest, which I will not reveal just yet. 
so the club kid movement was basically a nightlife uh, like revolution if you ask me because always gay culture and nightlife have always been like very close linked whether that was studio 54 or the club kid movement so club kids were basically these like club personas who were dressed in very obscure and flamboyant outfits and just living their best life when the sun would come down like underground clubs in New York City so these two really big movements in New York is what actually established um the LGBT movement and the queer movement to being as successful and as popular as it was at the time one of the slogans that they were using some of the slogans that they were using was dykes and fags bash back another one was queer nation get used to it which basically referenced the organization's most famous chant which was we're here we're queer get used to it another one that i love is 2468 how do you know your kids are straight and i'm like work bitch and my personal favorite is not gay as in happy but queer as in fuck you right because that's exactly this like punch against the system that the queer movement had in mind when they actually started their own foundation however going beyond activist and political uh, aspects of queerness it has infiltrated the way we think and it has actually become an essential part of theory and the theoretical apparatus at large so queer theory essentially is a field of critical theory that emerged in the early 1990s parallel to all these movements out of the fields of queer studies and women's studies queer theory includes both queer readings of texts and the theorization of queerness itself it essentially uh, was what established um, a communal effort to create a specific discourse revolving around non-normative ways of thinking it was heavily influenced by the work of Lauren Berlant Leo Bersani Judith Butler who's my mom love her Lee Edelman Jack Halberstam and Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick sorry if i mispronounced any of the previous names queer theory thus builds upon the meanings that were perpetuated by feminism in a way that gender is not considered or treated as part of an essential self simply because there is no essential self but rather as something that is socially constructed and inflicted upon individuals in order to govern their lives in a specific way in this exact way then in this exact parallel that's how sexuality should be treated right yes it is something that comes naturally out of you in the same way as breathing or whatever that is because we're all sexual beings at the end of the day however we should understand that that is not it's not in tautology it's not a equals a there are so many meanings around it in the same way that you don't just say a woman is a woman yani but what does that even mean you hear what i'm saying so in that respect queering the way we think about these matters actually enables people to have like a multiplicity of voices to be heard and actually create the pride flag being this like beautiful amalgamation of different colors and senses so let's go a bit into my mom judith butler so what constitutes gender according to butler is not simply um this tautology of a equals a nor is it an individualistic identity of the actor it is the constitution of that identity as a compelling general illusion established through belief and large scale naturalization she distinguishes between performance and performativity performance on the one hand implies that you have this actor that is very conscious of the role that they take on going on stage and acting that role and then when they leave the stage they go back to the real self 
Well, on the other hand, performativity is the blurring between these two. It's because the world is at stage and you don't have a real self to go back to simply because it is socially constructed, you know? Thus, Butler argued that gender is not a stable identity as that would falsely imply a universal essentialism. It would imply a prototype for women to fall into, or men. This assumed homogeneity is constituted by specific acts, though, and it encompasses specific characteristics that should be unjustly and arbitrarily applied to all women. Honey, not all women taste like mangoes or feel like, I don't know, a cloud, or they, you know what I mean? Or they smell like lavender. Fuck no. You know what I mean? There is no specific gender uh, behavior that women should condone to or actually perform. Neither men. But she was talking about women, obviously, being an intersectional feminist. However, it is these stylized repetitions of acts and gestures that function as the illusory bindings of the consolidation of a gender identity rather than the inherence of those acts as um, its necessary characteristics. It doesn't mean that because you're acting this way, then that makes you a woman, and if you don't, then you're not. Queerness does, alongside, I would actually argue, like, only intersectional feminism, pays attention to the in-betweens of the binaries and the norms. It is a close examination and an understanding of the socially constructed nature of these sexual acts and the identities around them. Contextually, in society, this stability and acceptance of norms has been originating from heterosexual desires and heteronormative needs because they are the ones that actually perpetuate these meanings for us to fall into. In opposition thus, queerness focuses on the mismatches of sexuality with gender, race, class, and identity in general. But anyway, Moving beyond that, queerness is essentially just celebrating everyone and understanding that each person is open and vulnerable to the person opposite us, is having all that amalgamation of identity within each and every one of us. It's essentially being every woman. So on that note, let's go to Every Woman, I'm Every Woman by Shaka Khan. After that beautiful break, let's get back into a little bit more serious stuff. The reason I'm using all of these songs, by the way, is because they are foundational songs in gay culture. Yes, okay, we might all have heard them like a couple of times when we're out, but honey, the reason we heard them so much is because they're fucking amazing, oldies and goodies. So, let's go back into queerness. So, queerness 
has been uh, most prominently associated with bisexual, lesbian, and gay subjects, but its analytic uh, framework as theory also includes different topics, uh, such as cross-dressing, intersex bodies and identities that occupy, and gender ambiguity and blurring, just like club kids, for example. We treat sexuality in this way as a fluid, fragmented, and dynamic collectivity of different possibilities, sexual ones, that is, that may even vary at different points during one's life. This stance of deconstructing and criticizing stable and correlated sexes, genders, and sexualities develops um, out of the social need to belong, essentially, not necessarily in a way of acceptance or equality. Equality, if you ask me, actually, can be as oppressive as discrimination. No, we are not all equal. And no, I don't know what you went through. We all go through different things. I hate it when you try to like, express a problem, a problem and someone's like, oh my God, I know exactly what you went through. Honey, no, you don't. I'm sorry, of course you don't. In the same way that I don't know like what you went through. Yes, I've had long nails. Yes, I've worn short skirts, but I've never once experienced the space or an attitude in life as a woman. You know, because I don't identify as a woman. Yes, I'm very femme, but like, it, that's, that's just appropriating if you ask me, and highly, highly inappropriate. So, that is where the queerness actually lies in. In belonging, the not belonging. I don't have to actually understand what you went through in order to empathize with you. Empathy implies that you're both on the same level of understanding. Sympathy, on the other hand, um, and empathy also implies care, by the way. Sympathy, on the other hand, implies that I am on a higher level than you, and then I choose to sympathize with you because you need it, which is essentially charity, and that's just plain rude. In this way, queerness is the reworking of a post-structuralist figuration of identity that functions as a, as a constellation of multiple and unstable positions in order to not necessarily pinpoint where queerness lies or where identity lies, but more so what it can include. So the question is not really who are we, but the question is who can we become? Queerness, essentially, should be this beautiful intersection, right? This beautiful shape that is like a mandala, but a mandala that is so intricate and so complicated that it's just a big black circle for everyone to be part of. Because essentially black is all the colors combined, if you, right? If you analyze it or look at it that way. So usually, right, people believe that queerness is about being against normativity. Yes, indeed, that might be a part of queerness. However, it is not its primary concern, nor is it its stable attribute. Queerness is the negation to a fixation, and to a one-dimensional substantiality. Queer theories thus, overarching goal, is to act as a lens or a tool to deconstruct and revisit the existing social norms and taxonomies, with the ultimate goal arguably being to destroy any form of hierarchy to the right of life. You don't deserve life more than I do, simply because you're straight or because you're a cisgendered man and I'm not. Taking it then, one step further, queer is not really a destination per se, but a vital part of its fulfillment is the investigation of those taxonomies and how and why they came into being in the first place. The view is that these notions and norms are just rigid organizing categories 
that do not sufficiently explain different attitudes, behaviors, or conditions of a real-life individual lived experience. What is analyzed essentially is the power distribution and identification across multiple facets of oppression and privilege. Thus, feminist and queer theory are seen as applicable concepts that provide a framework to explore these issues rather than as an identity that lies in tautology, identifying those that actually are in the community and those that are not. Queer, then, is an umbrella term for those that are not only deemed sexually deviant, but also those who feel marginalized as a result of standard social practices. It's just for the bad bitches in the world, honey. So on that note, let's go into Donna Summer and Bad Girls. back into it. Um, speaking of social practices, the reason I consider the intersection between queerness and art so important and culture in general for that matter is because it's two aspects of society that are not necessarily pinpointed somewhere, right? Um, in the same way that none of my previous statements or descriptions function as dogmatic disciplines for people to follow. Of course not. These are just like personal opinions at the end of the day, and personal views on specific matters. But queerness, if indeed is this identity that is not really fixated on anywhere, then art should be the same way. Art is subjective. So on that note, w no one is a better artist really than the other person. But on the other hand, both identities, that of an artist, I mean, and that of a queer individual, have in their respect, right, a political substantiality behind it. Which is why I believe that they are both like parallel to one another. However, right, art is something that you can't really dictate. But I will try and explain why I believe it is super important to showcase these types of people. So, Judith Butler might be my mom, but on the other hand, my daddy will always be Heidegger. And for those of you that know me personally, comes as no surprise that I would talk about Heidegger first show in. So Heidegger was one of the very controversial philosophical figures. However, regardless of whether he made very, very problematic statements, um, he, I think he had the right idea when it came to art. Heidegger believed that essentially artists have a social obligation, not obligation, a social like um, heavy role 
to unveil specific meanings to the public. He believes that uh, artists have the gift to view world, the world in a specific way and through their own art, unveil a specific meaning that, and make available a specific meaning that wasn't really accessible to the audience or the people that would see their art before that. Because if you actually think about it, right, if you have an art piece in front of you, let's take a painting that is the most common of art pieces that everyone saw a painting at least once in their life, or even music, right, a song. So if you see a painting, even if you actually don't pay attention to it, it's still registered in your mind. You still have an aesthetic response to it, even if it's just for a split millisecond. In the same way that if there's a song playing in the background, it still is registering through your brain, like the notes and just kind of like the melodies that are being in the song itself. So in this way, there is a movement going on between like your own self, your own perception, and those art pieces. So in the same way, Heidegger believes that both locality and journey are essentially analogous to these processes of movement as being continuous and never pinpointed, rather than verified and validated through the past or a specificity. Their essence is concealed in human beings becoming homely in their own selves through a passage and encounter with the foreign, that being the art piece, I mean. When encountering the foreign and returning to the home, which is the self, what is being challenged is the essence of what that home is and what a stable origin consists of, of that self. And I'm, I'm talking about, like, going beyond just perception of an art piece, right, an aesthetic predisposition. I'm talking about the level of identity itself. When encountering thus the foreign, whatever that may be, what one should do is not appropriate it to their homely and to their own predisposition or what they've already acquired in their lives as knowledge. On the contrary, they should submerge themselves within the unhomely world offered in order to understand the gaps of history, language and awareness, in order to allow a truth of the world to unveil itself, right, and be made available to us. Thus, shattering the blindness of our preconceived and stagnant of opinions of self-construction. This encounter within the unhomely is meant to bring together different worlds in a non-appropriating nor manageable way. You shouldn't be able to deconstruct and completely grasp an art piece's uh, meaning or art's meaning or any identity's meaning for that matter of fact. You never really have life figured out, honey. And if you think you do, then I'm sorry. Jokes on you. On the other hand, though, an art piece and this um, submerging oneself in the unhomely is meant to show the world in such a way that it grasps the hidden subtext of meanings and thus their concealed essence. And I don't mean in an essentialist way. Essence, just for lack of a better word right now coming to mind. So in this way, right, if we take Heidegger's notion of unhomeliness, um, having it being um, a mode that accomplishes such an act to its fullest would be that of art. Art, according to Heidegger, denotes a specific mode of knowing, right? Is what I told you before. An artist, by noticing that which is concealed around us, has the power to unconceal these essences that are hidden in the world through a specific knowledge that they have accumulated through life, but they also understand that that knowledge should be applied and it took a process to be applied into that specific art piece. This truth, which is underlined within the unhomely, consists in aletheia, which is the revealing of beings. Aletheia means truth in Greek, by the way. 
for a Greek listener. To create something, whether that is a translation, a film, a painting, a song, a performance, whatever that is, is to essentially let it um, become and come in its own as an essence that has been brought forth through art. It is something that has already been there, yet it took a lot of effort and beauty in order to become the thing that it is now. The work's becoming is a way in which truth is conceptualized and manifested. In the same way, the human condition is in itself that of the unhomely. It is only when we are in a state of becoming and exposed to our own being which we push the boundaries of our own self-definitions. If becoming unhomely thus is essentially grounded in historicity, then it's only a historical people that come to satisfy the essence of its own accord or actually uh, have a parallel, direct relationship with its own language. So yes, it is only a historical people that are stranded within the unhomely and the foreign, both in the gaps of language, but also its multiple possibilities. In this way then, right, if we treat language and the way we use it and the way we express it, which is essentially like the way we express our ideas and our own idiosyncrasy and like cognitive makeup, right, if we treat it in the same way as art, then its true essence lies likewise within its power to unconceal worlds which were not available to us since then. Through language, then, what is revealed is our true human condition of never really knowing, of always becoming. It makes available to us only specific interpretations which lack the ont ontological totality of being, since it is this exact nature which it occupies, that of lack and of absence. So, I hate it when people say these types of statements of like, oh, I don't believe in like calling myself gay and the only identity that matters is that of human or queer or, you know what I mean? Um, no, of course it matters to call yourself gay and of course it matters yourself to call your, of course it matters to call yourself queer. Yes, human is a vital part of it, evidently. However, it's stepping up to this language and using it in a way to understand that there is a meaning around it. And it is exactly in this ahistoricity that we're all submerged in. So it is because we are in this ahistoricity, it's important to claim our ground, right? In the same way that Marsha P. Johnson threw that first fucking brick, we should be doing that every single day of our lives and standing up and reclaiming what's ours and actually just taking back the night. So that was basically all I had to say for this point onwards, right? About this identity part of the show. It is exactly because of the syllogism between queerness and art that I want to showcase specific people. And not as in um, choosing specific people over others, but just because I believe that it is exactly when we understand the relationship between the two where we can establish this beautiful thing that we call queerness as an overarching understanding of society at large, and not just for the LGBTQIA community, but for actually everyone, right? So, if you actually like this podcast, then you will love the one after this, which I will invite one of the very lovely performers that Amsterdam has to offer, Chelsea Boy, to talk a little bit about the Club Kid aesthetic and his own specific idea of what it means to be queer and what it means to be a queer performer. So, I hope everyone is safe with the whole craze of corona and this whole pandemic going on. And all I just have to say about that is that since there was no pride, I hope you enjoyed my music selection for this specific show. 
and we shall be having a lot more music selections for the shows after this. Maybe not in a specific theme, as I will also ask the guests to provide me with a few songs of their own liking and then reverberate basically between our tastes. But exactly because there was no pride, I thought that it was very important to celebrate a little bit our queerness all together. And at the end of the day, honey, we will fucking survive in the same way that Gloria Gaynor did. So, this is my point of saying goodbye, sending you beautiful, lovely, queer, wonderful, and glittery kisses to all of you. And before leaving you with I Will Survive, I will also leave you with my favorite quote of all time and my own parents' personal life mantra that was given by James and James, which was a foundational member of the Club Kid movement of the 90s in New York. So the quote is, if you got a hunchback, just throw some glitter on it, honey. So, throwing the glitter in the air and leaving you with I Will Survive. Kisses.